Well, good morning. My name is Michael Porman, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I get the privilege here at Parkview to be the children's pastor, so I get to oversee everything birth through fifth grade, and I love it. It takes a crazy person to do some children's ministry stuff and do five weeks of day camp and all that kind of fun stuff that we get to do, and uh, I enjoy it. Um, but not only am I going to talk to you this morning about kids uh, from a children's uh, pastor perspective, but I'm also a dad. And so I have uh, two kids. I have a daughter named Maddie who will be turning 10 this month, which is crazy to her mother and I. Uh, she actually said to us recently, Mom, Dad, I'm turning a decade old this year. Ah, thanks for reminding us. You know, it's crazy. Uh, you, I, I, if you ever see me cry, uh, it would be mostly because I think, man, Maddie's going to be out of our house and like eight years. It's crazy that she's gone so, uh, grown so fast. So, um, and then we have a, a son. His name is Caleb, and he is six. And I love my kids, and their kids, uh, they, you know that old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? That's true for my kids because they're like their dad. They're a little bit crazy, but a whole lot of fun. And so uh, I get to talk to you this morning about kids, and I'm excited to be able to do that. If you're a guest, just so that you know what we're doing, we're in this series called Perfect, where we've uh, kind of trying to de debunk the idea of perfection. Uh, it affects uh, our families, uh, affects our marriages, our parenting, and it even affects our kids. And so we've been taking the last few weeks to talk about uh, perfection and what it looks like and why does it affect our relationships and the pressure that it puts on us and uh, realizing that God is the only one who's perfect. And so I'm excited to be able to be with you today. Uh, would, we, would you join me here in just a moment? Uh, join me in prayer as we invite God into this moment. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you that we don't have to be perfect and that you are. That as we say in God, you are perfect in all of your ways. And so we are great, grateful for that. And we ask God that you would be in this time. God, that you would pull up the big chair and that your presence would be uh, palpable in this room with us right now, and that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive something from you today, and that as we leave this place, we would have the courage to do something with what we've heard. We praise you, and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can imagine, uh, if you know me, uh, if you don't, I was not a really great kid growing up. I was kind of crazy. I was kind of wild and rambunctious and kind of uh, goofy. And, uh, and so we actually say for my kids that there's, they have a, uh, uh, if you've seen the movie uh, uh, where there's a big goofball island, that's my kids. My kids uh, followed me and we have a big goofball island. And so this is a picture of me as a kid. Don't let the cuteness fool you. I was crazy. I was a little bit nutty. And so that's my twin brother, Matt, and I. If you're wondering which one I am on the right or the left, I am the better looking one on the left. All right. Uh, and so that's us growing up. And so we were a little bit crazy, uh, but we had uh, two other siblings. I have an older brother who's three years older than me. And then I have a sister. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my sister. She was born in January. And my twin brother and I were born in December of the same year. Yeah. Think about that. Okay. So we were Irish triplets, as some people call us, and so I'm not even sure how my mom was still sane. And so we, uh, we were pretty rambunctious as a family. We kept my mom and dad fairly, fairly busy. Um, I actually had an uncle who once said to me, uh, he said, I'm so glad when my twin brother and I ended up becoming pastors, because he's a pastor as well. Uh, he was like, I'm so glad, because I thought you guys were going to end up in prison. 
Seriously, he re just retold me that story recently. Uh, and so if you would have been uh, a fly on the wall in my home growing up in the great state of Indiana, you would have heard this. Michael, I told you to get down. Michael, stop bothering your sister. Michael, I told you to stop doing that. Michael, Michael, Michael. My name was like second nature to my parents. And uh, my siblings and I often laugh uh, when we're watching old home videos uh, about how much my name is called. And so recently, uh, over Thanksgiving, I was home and we were watching old home videos and I found some really interesting ones. And I actually brought one to show you today of me as a kid. I'm going to preface it by telling you it's a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. And then second, you might say, that's not you. You're, that, that kid has hair. Yes, it was me as a 10-year-old with a a full head of hair. So take a look at this. Hi, it's Mike. Yep. Best of them all. I get all the babes. Yep. I'm taping myself because I haven't been on camera yet. You dummy. And it's... No, I'm taping myself. I'm taping myself. Wasn't in the face, I said. It was in the face. So now you can understand what my uncle was talking about. Not only was what I was doing kind of weird and goofy, uh, but I had done exactly what my mom had told me not to do several times, and then I lied straight to her face, and there's video to prove it. My mom was here at the 8.30 service, and I officially apologized for the craziness uh, that I had put her through as a kid. And maybe you can relate to that, right? You were a kid growing up, and maybe you weren't perfect. Or maybe you have kids of your own, and they're not perfect, because there are no perfect kids. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we see this in Scripture, right? In the book of Romans, the, the Apostle Paul uh, addresses this issue as he recites Psalm 14 uh, to the Romans. He says this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. And then again in uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we see it plain as day. No person is perfect, and that includes our kids. All have turned away and all have messed up. So whether it's the preschooler who gets in the paint and gets it all over your furniture downstairs that you have to put it on the curb and it's say goodbye, or maybe it's the two elementary age students who seem to pick on each other like it's a sport. Or maybe it's the middle school or high school student who has an eye roll, an attitude at every turn. Or the 20 or 30-something who can't seem to get it together. Kids at every age are not perfect. We see it plain as day. They make mistakes. They mess up. And we've been hearing over the last few weeks at how we as adults feel the pressure to be perfect. That we feel the pressure to have the, the perfect family and have the perfect marriage, and be perfect parents. But did you know that our kids, our kids have a picture of perfect too? Our kids feel the pressure to be the perfect kid, just like we feel the pressure to be perfect. Just because they're kids doesn't mean it escapes them. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you, in a room this size, it's probably true that you have been chasing perfection since you were five years old. So maybe you can understand what it looks like to try to be the perfect kid. And let me tell you something. There's a disease in our culture. It permeates in every home in America. It permeates every school, and it even permeates into our church. 
And recently, while reading a great book called No More Perfect Kids uh, by uh, author and speaker Jill Savage and Dr. Kathy Cook, I came across a fantastic name for this disease. And it's called the perfection infection. I love that term. It's defined as this, the effect on our minds and spirits of the widespread, sanitized, airbrushed standards we see every day in the world around us and our deplorable tendency to compare ourselves. You see, we feel this as adults, adults but so do our kids. The, this perfection infection is what our kids experience every single day. In other words, our kids uh, see and experience and hear that they have to strive to be perfect. And our kids feel the pressure to be perfect from lots of different sources, and we could spend an entire day on that. But I want to highlight just three of them for you this morning. And the first one is this. In this selfie stick social media day and age, our kids are growing increasingly aware of the pressure to compare themselves and strive for perfection. Right? Just spend any time on any social media outlet, on, on Pinterest, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. If you don't know what those are, uh, actually go out, make an account because that's where your kids are, okay? But any of those social media accounts are where your kids are and they feel the pressure to compare themselves. And if you go on any of them, you'll see how easily comparison comes into play. Author and pastor uh, Stephen Furtick, who's a pastor out in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, has put it this way once. He said, we all too often, and so do our kids, by the way, but we all too often compare our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. That's what social media is. People aren't putting all the negative stuff going on in their life, right? It's all the highlights. It's all the good stuff. And you look and go, man, my life isn't anything like that. So do our kids. The social media world our kids are growing up in every day is right at their fingertips because the perfection infection surrounds them at every corner because it's on the device that's right in their pocket. But there's another way that our kids sense the perfection infection. And sometimes our kids feel the perfection infection from us, their mom and dad, their parents. We are wounded parents. We're wounded people. We're broken. And we wound our kids too. And these wounds put pressure on our kids to be perfect. I mean, it was true for me. I grew up in a house where my dad was an alcoholic and he was verbally abusive. And he would drink and he would get angry and he would kick holes in the wall. And one year he even picked up the Christmas tree and threw it across the room. So it was pretty scary as a kid. The pressure to be the perfect kid was evident in my home. And so I did whatever I could not to set my dad off because I didn't know what was going to happen. Well, that backdrop, that backdrop affects my kids. Because although I'm not verbally abusive to my kids, I find myself, just like my dad, getting angry at sometimes the smallest and insignificant things that my kids do. I find myself often barking at my kids to do their chores, to clean up their room, to be kind to one another, to do the things they're not, that, they, that just drive me insane, And so it's like I'm saying to you, do the right thing at the right time with the right attitude, even though mine is often terrible. And I put the pressure on my kids to be perfect. Our kids try to be perfect to make us happy. Our kids try to be perfect to keep us from getting angry. And truly, our kids try to be perfect because mom and dad, they don't want to hear that lecture that they've heard a hundred times. And I've given that lecture a lot. 
So sometimes mom and dad, we perpetuate the perfection infection in our kids. But lastly, our kids feel the pressure to be perfect because the world tells them that success is all about getting the A. High achievement is the name of the game in the world today. High achievement equals a high-paying job, which equals high success, which equals the American dream and all that is perfect in the world. And the harder they try, especially the harder they try than anyone else, then the more they will get that American dream and they'll succeed and achieve perfection. And the pressure to perform in school is only getting harder and harder these days with state standards and testing causing what some have called a chronically anxious society. Stress levels and anxiety levels are an all-time high these days, aren't they? A recent study by the American Psychological Association said that teens rate their stress level of a 6 out of a 10 compared to their parents of 5 out of 10. Our kids are more stressed out than we are. That's backwards. Our kids shouldn't be stressed out. I often have to remind my own daughter that I don't care what she gets on the test. I don't care about the state standards. I only care that she tries her hardest. Because somewhere along the line, she's uh, believed the lie that if she gets an answer wrong, she's flawed in some way. And that's just not true. We want her to strive for excellence, and she wants to strive for excellence. But at what point does excellence cross over to perfection? And I found a helpful list in that book that I mentioned earlier of No More Perfect Kids. Here's just a couple of them. Excellence is something done well. Perfection is done without fault. Excellence expects mistakes. Perfection panics at mistakes. Excellence is learning. But perfection is only performing. So the pressure to be the perfect kid is infectious. And the perfection infection is alive and well today. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to overtake our kids. Because when we see our kids mess up, and they will, and when they're not perfect because they're not, and when they make mistakes because if they haven't already, they're going to make some big ones, aren't they? We're often seeing what my friends Kim and Toussaint Whetstone like to call the shoots. But the answer, the real question is, what are the roots? And what I mean by that is, uh, under this, all this barrage of pressure to be perfect from outside sources, and our kids' imperfect actions and reactions along the way, there are some deep questions that our kids are asking that they want answered. And ultimately, it's because feelings drive behavior. We say that again. It's because feelings drive the bad behavior or the bad choices we see when they're not perfect. So our kids are asking themselves these questions. They're asking, am I known? This is a question of value and worth. Our children are asking to be known. Known by us, known by their peers, known by the world, and known by God. I mean, that's why they do what they do. They're trying to find themselves, and they want other people to find them too. They want to be seen, heard, and known. Psalm 139 tells us, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Our kids are looking for people and a God who take interest in them, 
who are familiar with all their ways, who know all their uniqueness, and who value them for who they are today. And man, let me tell you, if that is threatened or that is in question, that will make for an imperfect child in the way they choose to behave or the choices they make or the way they choose to act. So our kids are asking, am I known? They're also asking, am I loved? And this is a basic human need that you and I understand, but as kids grow, they need to hear it over and over again, and they need to know that they know that they know it. Am I loved? The Apostle Paul wrote about love in what has become known as the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 that you probably hear at weddings. It reads this. It reads like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, this is the kind of love that our kids are asking about. Does the love they receive protect? Does it hope? Does it persevere? Does the love they receive, does it hold no record of wrongs? Because our children are desperately seeking this kind of love, which accepts imperfection and allows for their mistakes. But they're also asking to be loved in a certain way. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a great book called uh, The Five Love Languages of Children. And it gives a great insight into five ways kids are looking to be loved. And the five five love languages are these. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical affection. Answering the question, am I loved, specifically to a kid's love language, will fill their love tank, as Dr. Chapman calls it in his book. But if kids operate out of an empty love tank, they will for sure show their imperfection and seek love and attention in negative outlets. So am I known? Am I loved? And lastly, our kids are asking, who am I? Children need to know who they really are because identity is defined by this question. Who children think they are is who they will be. Right? We sang the song, uh, Good, Good Father. It's who I am. That's the question our kids are asking. Who am I? Right? This, this question of who am I is one of those mysteries of childhood, right? We all went through those awkward years of middle school, braces, Trying to figure out who we were, right? I mean, I used to dress like this. Saggy pants, backwards hat, trying to figure out who I was, right? We all go through those awkward years of our childhood figuring out who we are and what we're about. It's definitely awkward, but it's a crucial part of our upbringing. And, you know, I recently heard a, a statistic that uh, adolescence is ha- uh, lasting into the early 30s these days. And so some of our young adults are still asking this question, who am I? So it's a crucial question to answer. And kids often need to be reminded of who they are. And who they are is image bearers of God. They're an image bearer. Genesis 1 tells us this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The word image here means resemblance. Human beings resemble God and are the only creatures that were created that bear that image. 
And then scripture goes on to tell us that our kids are uniquely created by God the Father, knit together with uniqueness and skills and passions and gifts and calling. They are an image bearer of God. And as Donnie mentioned earlier, that is their identity and our identity. Image bearers of God. And within this who am I question is a truth. A truth for boys and a truth for girls. Because every boy wants to be a hero. Every boy wants to know, do I have what it takes? And every girl, every girl wants to capture your attention. And she wants to know, am I lovely? And so this who am I question gives us the opportunity to speak into the lives of kids. Our children are looking to get an answer to a deep question and how we handle their hearts is crucial. So this question gives us the opportunity to speak into the lives of our kids and say, yes, you are a hero and you have what it takes. And we get to say, yes, you are lovely and you are worth fighting for. And then we get to delight in our kids as they come into that identity and that all that God made them to be. And man, the perfection infection, it can take over if this question is not answered. As kids find their identity in many other things, just like you, just like me, we dabble into figuring out who we are and our kids will do that too. And as they do, they're going to make some mistakes. And a strong answer to this question, who am I, is key. So am I known? Am I loved? And who am I are the root questions that our kids are processing as they navigate the perfection infection that is thrust upon them every single day. So then the question remains then, okay, how do we help? How do we help our kids fight this perfection infection that seems to lurk around every corner and in every relationship? Well, first, we must do what I just talked to you about. We must focus on the roots, not the shoots. We must do our best to answer the root questions that our kids are asking, and as hard as it is, not sweat the small stuff. We need to not focus on when they hit their brother or sister or they disobey for the hundredth time. But focus on the roots, not the shoots. Secondly, we must reveal Jesus and his grace to them. 2 Corinthians 12.9 states that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Our kids need to hear that God's grace is sufficient for them over and over and over and over again. They can't hear it enough. Authors Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson put it eloquently in their book, Give Them Grace, which I would highly recommend to any one of you. They say it this way. Even though our children cannot and will not obey God's law, we need to teach it to them again and again. And when they tell us that they can't love God or others in this way, we are to agree with them. 
We are to agree with them and tell them of their need for a Savior. Yes, give them God's law. Teach it to them and tell them that God commands obedience. But, but before you are done, give them grace and explain again the beautiful story of Christ's perfect keeping of it for them. So teach them that God's grace is sufficient for them. Model it for them and reveal it to them as often as you can. And lastly, if we want to help our kids fight the perfection infection, we must value who they become for Jesus rather than pursuing perfection. You know, one of the greatest privileges I get to do here as children's pastor uh, at Parkview is family dedications. We do them a couple times a year, and I love it. Oftentimes, parents are up here introducing a new baby to you, but really it's an opportunity for parents to stand before you, the congregation, and God and say, we commit to raising our child in a Christ-centered home. And beforehand, we meet with the families, and we talk about this concept called Imagine the End. And and it's really a a, a place to focus for the future, a, a point on the horizon. And so we talk about who your children will become 18 years from now. And it's not about their vocation. They want to be a doctor or lawyer or teacher or pastor. But it's really about what kind of character their parents want them to have when they're older. And as I'm often talking to these parents before family dedications, often holding little ones in their arms, I'm regularly reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The word clothe here means, clothe means here to put on, uh, kind of like put on an overcoat. So these are the things that parents of young children want their kids to put on as they grow. And I'm sure it's what we in this room want our kids to put on as they grow. Valuing who our children become for Jesus will break down the pressures and the noise of the perfection infection to focus on what is truly important, and that is the simple truth of loving God and loving our neighbor with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So how do we help our kids fight the perfection infection they feel every day? Focus on the roots, not the shoots. Reveal Jesus and his grace to them and value who our children become for Jesus. But you know what? This isn't just for those of us who are parents or grandparents in the room. Many of you in this room are uncles and aunts. You're in a life group with kids. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You're a mentor. You have great influence in the lives of children around you and in your life. Fuller Theological Seminary recently said, uh, did a study that said that kids need five positive relationships with adults outside their parents to have the best chance not to walk away from their faith when they're older. You get to be a part of that. You get to be one of the five in the life of a child. Proverbs 22 says, train a child in the way he should go. We all get to be a part of this process. And we can help change the face of a generation and move them away from the perfection infection because these are our kids. These are our nieces, our nephews, our grandkids, 
our cousins, our neighbors, our students, our little league team, our mentee. They're our kids. So let's help our kids fight the perfection infection and help change the face of a generation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our kids. Thank you for our kids, those that we get to influence. God, this perfection infection is real. And it seems like the pressure is never ending. And so God, we're asking for you to give us wisdom and discernment as we parent our kids, as we mentor kids, as we teach kids, as we walk alongside families we know. Help us, Lord, we pray. God, thank you for our kids. You have been so generous to us to give us our kids, those in our lives that we can influence. And we thank you for your generosity to us. And God, as we now turn to receive this morning's offering, I pray, God, that you would receive it as honor and glory and praise from us. God, you have been so ridiculously generous to us, and so we give back to you out of the generosity you've given to us. And may this be like a sweet fragrance to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as the ushers come forward to receive this morning's offering, would you use this song and the words of this song as a prayer for our kids? What a powerful reminder of the role that we as parents and loved ones and people that surround these children can have in their lives. And I look out on the horizon of our world and I wonder who is going to steal their hearts? Who, who is going to provide that pathway to Jesus? I, I want to thank you, Michael. That was, that was both challenging and inspiring to me. What a beautiful day. Will you stand and we will uh, wrap up this morning? I, I, listen, I want to encourage you to come back uh, next Sunday as we wrap up this perfect series. We're going to have a, an, another great message that will be applicable to all of us uh, as we talk about us being people that are imperfect and as we celebrate communion together next Sunday. So will you come back and be a part of that as we wrap that series up and then we're going to move really fast right into Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. It's going to be crazy around here for the next few weeks, but we're excited about what God is going to do over the next few weeks in the life of this church. So will you bow your heads and we'll pray together. Father, I thank you for these folks in this room who have heard this message and are forever changed, that we have the understanding that we are not perfect, that we don't have to be perfect, that your love for us is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if we will just show up and communicate that message to our children, how much better off will they be than us? So we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to be in your presence. My prayer is that we would leave this place transformed for having been in your presence and with each other today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.